Hello, and welcome to the Television Spotlight on the Comic Book Page podcast. My name is John May. In this episode, we'll be having a spoiler-filled discussion about a television show that we think you'll enjoy. In this episode, I'm joined by my sister Kay, and we're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion on the first season of Foundation, a 10-episode season on Apple. Mm -hmm. Apple, Apple Plus, Apple TV, what's the official designation? Oh, that's a great question. I don't know. I can't keep track of these things. Apple something or other. Yeah. And I read, I think, the first book and a third or so of the Foundation series by Isaac Asimov when I was in high school. I read a lot of his stuff. I made it through most of the robot stuff, and I'm pretty sure it was Foundation that I made it through the first, a ways into the second. But as brilliant as that stuff is, it is not remotely, at least for me at the time, light reading. Mm. Granted, I haven't gone back to it in a few decades, so maybe it'd be better now and, and whatnot. I have very, very, very little recollection of it other than the concept of psychohistory and really, I think that was about all I could recall was that it dealt with that and you know, predicting the movements of large groups of people and stuff like that. And I think I even mentioned that when we started this. Yeah. So I have no earthly idea how faithful of that an adaptation this is or isn't, and or how far they got into because it was a trilogy that had two sequels and then a prequel or two, not. All of which I'm certain uh, if were written by Asimov or not. The later stuff may not have been. Interesting. Because he wrote some of this stuff back in the late 50s, early 60s. And I don't know, again, I, I haven't dived into the book side of it in, in ages. And again, I don't think I ever made it through the, the second book entirely. That was one of those where it's, again, enjoyable read, but it's like swimming through molasses or something. It, it just takes some effort. And that's the kind of book that once I sit down, I don't always pick back up. Yeah, I like page turners. If it doesn't have that kind of momentum where I just keep flipping the page, I don't tend to start them. Yeah, I've had a couple of books that are much more page turners than others. One or two where I felt I flew through the book at an astonishing pace and it's, wow, it's over already. I granted, it, that may have been a 180-page book or something like that with I'm not going to say larger print, but it felt that way, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. And it was it was br- a breezy read. And this was on the complete other end of the spectrum. It would be one of those things, you'd get into it, there'd be the mention of something, and, well, let's take a couple of pages to, to dive into this, you know, how this ray gun works, or how this aspect of transportation, or, you know, whatever. Yeah. The science, part of the science fiction. And it was fascinating. It was very interesting. But then I'd get through those couple of pages, and it's like, okay, this is this is fun, this is great, but I need to go take a little bit of a break before I continue on sort of a deal. Mm-hmm. Just because there's, with, with some of this classic sci-fi era, not just Asimov, but others of, of his ilk of the time, so much going on in those pages. Yeah. The ideas, the concepts, you know, where could it lead, all of that, it was, it was brilliant. Now, I'll admit, I was concerned... Because my vague recollection of, of the Foundation stuff was it played out over the course of a really, really long time. It'd be like doing, you know, uh, a story about China, the complete history thereof. It's <laughs> yeah. been around for a while. Yeah. 
You know, that's thousands and thousands of years. Same with, with Foundation. Mm-hmm. And just in this, this one season, or well, even in the first episode, they jumped, what, 35 years at one point. Yeah. By the end of the season, they'd gone forward another 138 or something. Well, and at one point, we glimpsed back 400 years. 400 years, a couple of other times, back 20 years, forward 10. There were one or two times where it's like, okay, I'm a little confused when this is relative to the other things. And I think the next uh, time designation we got on the screen was now. Well, at one point, we got before. Yeah, we get before, we get now, and I'm like, this isn't helping, guys. Yes. When you say five years later or ten years before, I'm like, give me a relative point. Well, and then at one point, it's 19 years later, mm-hmm. 14 years after that. And I'm like, okay, so now I have to do the mental math? Yeah, I feel like out- I should have been sitting there with an abacus or something. Yeah, I'm like, if I want to know how old this character is, I'm now having to do mental math, which is honestly throwing me out of the story. I think the way they presented it was good, was entertaining, was mm-hmm. fun. But it would also be interesting to see in chronological order. Yeah. Which would be tough because, again, it bounced around in time a lot. And you would get a few things that you just wouldn't have the context for when you first see them. So there are points in storytelling where you need to shuffle up the timeline. Yeah. And we also got mention of some stuff that had taken place like 11,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Because that was tying back into the whole robotics stuff that Asimov did, that had the three laws of robotics and were, you know, a ton of short stories and whatnot, and I think even a few novel-length ones back in the day. And I went through a fair number of Asimov books. I couldn't tell you which one's off the top of my head or, or whatnot. That would have been, again, back in, in high school. So I was concerned, though, given the time frame, how well would this work as a series? And would we be cycling through actors, you know, over the course of the series of, well, it's century two later, I guess we don't get those people anymore. Well, what fascinated me was, in that respect, the uh, characters of Brother Dawn, Brother Day, Brother Dusk. Yeah, Empire and the clone saga thereof, or, or the genetic dynasty, I think they called it, where the original Cleon Emperor, he was egotistical enough to think, well, I, Cleon, am and, and the epitome of, of what it takes to be emperor. So we'll just clone me and keep going with that. Well, I like how Brother Day ascended to being Brother Dusk when Brother Dusk's you know time was over. And it's kind of the, the same actor is now playing the next iteration of himself. Yes. We were able to jump through a few different time frames with the same, well, with four actors playing three roles. Yes. Of the same genetic guy, the emperor in training, Brother Dawn, the emperor in you know power of, of Brother Day, and the emperor emeritus of, of Brother Dusk, who in his final days gets promoted to Brother Darkness, where it's like, okay, you're about to die, we're just going to toast you now and bring out the next clone, and everybody, you know, day becomes dawn, uh, dusk, dawn becomes day, and the, the kid out of the the cloning factory becomes the new Brother Dawn. And it was interesting to watch those characters interact. Mm-hmm. We had two different actors playing Brother Dawn, one at around age 10, one at around age 20, and different versions of, or different Dawns of, you know, Cleon the, thir- the 14th or the 13th, or whatever it was. And that is some of the confusion, definitely. Yeah, because you've got these same actors 
talking about the same events of, well, when, when Harry did this, you did that. And it's like, okay, day is telling this to dusk, but the events happened when that dusk was day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and, you know, thinking of it from the actor's point of view, of the actor who performed the scene and was the guy who said those things to Harry, now gets to turn to a different actor. And say, when you said this. Yes, yes. I will say, though, that the actors, all of them when they were doing these roles, because they'd be sitting down to, to breakfast or dinner or whatever, the mannerisms. They nailed it. They all were believably the same person at different ages. I loved the synchronized forking of the food, the synchronized raising of the goblet. They the, nailed it. The, the you know, getting the napkin on the lap kind of a thing in sync. Yeah. Yeah, they really did a, a great job with that. And I've also got to credit uh, makeup and hair on some of this. Because Brother Day, we see different versions of him at slightly different ages. The hair's a little longer, he looks a little younger, a little older, you know. Mm-hmm. Nothing major, but it does give that sense of time having elapsed. Well, we also have with Brother Dawn, when he comes face to face with, for lack of a better term, a stolen clone. Yes. And they look just that little bit different. The the pampered Dawn versus the I've been prepared to step into your shoes, yeah. but I've seen the real world Dawn. Yeah, yeah. Well, and also... When we see the original Cleon the First, and when Brother Dusk is kind of at the Brother Darkness stage, that was the actor who played Brother Dusk, just made up a little, you know, yeah. another 10, 20 years. Yeah. And I thought, again, they cast people that looked enough alike, you can see the resemblance, or believe the resemblance. Yes. And again, just using that as a way to keep the same actors in play kind of keeping the same characters but iterate on them very literally i thought was a lot of fun mm-hmm. and then they also did some stuff with harry the inventor or whatever of of psychohistory whose whole thing is he's telling the emperor or, or telling empire which is the collective name of of these three rotating clones who are in charge of of the galactic empire your empire is not going to last forever. It's going to fall in the next 500 years. Obviously, they don't take well to that. Mm-hmm. So there's a bit of a, a, a butting of heads of those. Well, the whole concept of psychohistory is we can learn from history and predict what's going to happen. Well, and with a large enough population, you can tell what the mass is going to do. Mm-hmm. You know, sooner or later, somebody's going to have an idea that leans in a certain direction and steers things in a certain direction. You may not know who that is or exactly when that is, mm-hmm. but there's certain, it'd be like uh, fluid dynamics or whatever. You can tell which way the water's going to go, but not every you know molecule of it or something. Well, you don't have to know which religion is going to say something controversial or have an uprising yes. to know that in a period of 200 years, a religion is going to do something. Well, you've got this empire. It's got a lot of planets under its thumb. One of them is going to rebel at some point. Yes. And then that's going to be followed with one of the major religions is going to get a little out of line and it's going to have enough followers. You got to deal with that. Again, you may not know the specifics, mm-hmm. but like with any good prophecy, it's obvious in hindsight. Yes. Yes. And I was thinking the Oracle at Delphi would have been very proud of Harry. 
Well, but the Oracle at Delphi was one of those where the wording was very open to interpretation, and it literally meant both outcomes. Yes, true. You you know, you will go to war, and the way they phrase it is you're either going to win or you're going to lose, but I'm going to phrase it such that what I say applies to both. Yeah. Whereas Harry wasn't trying to, to prophesize, but was telling where the trends were going, what was likely to happen, mm-hmm. and just didn't nail it down so specifically as to which religion, which planet, what time frame, but wasn't one of those where it's either going to happen or it's not, and I'm right either way. Well, but there was also the whole concept of your empire is so huge, someone's going to be upset about it. Yep. Yeah. And strike back at you. Now, certain things are inevitable. Right. But the timing of the Star Bridge being attacked and collapsing had me wondering, is Harry actually connected to that? I was taking it because there were a couple of times of, of is Harry connected to this? Is he maneuvering certain things into place or whatever? Or is he underplaying how good his math is mm. of something like this is, is, is liable to happen? Because he, if he, he knows if he is too precise, yes. he's going to run afoul of Empire, get under their thumb and, and all of that. Mm-hmm. So he may know. This is pretty precisely where the path's going to go, but if I reveal that, that that steers it in a given direction in and of itself. So yeah. aiming for Foundation to get created and exiled was what he needed and wanted. So there's an aspect of intentional lying, misdirecting, and engineering certain events, because if they don't happen, it go, things go in the wrong course. Well, he also had an interesting view on what was the bait, especially with Gale. Mm -hmm. In terms of the bait wasn't the offer for you to come to Tantor, Trantor? Trantor. Trantor. The bait was actually the math problem you solved, the math proof. Mm -hmm. But she didn't see the proof that had existed for 500 years as the bait. She saw his reaction to her solving it. As the bait to get her to Trantor. Well, different characters had different vantage points. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, very different agendas. Yes. I mean, Empire is to keep Empire alive. Yes. You know, the, the Empire and so forth. Whereas the Outer Realm, some of those planets just want to be free and, and not taken advantage of and whatnot. So there were a couple of times where there were a lot of different factions. Not so many so that it was confusing. Mm-hmm. You had the Foundation. You had... The Empire, or Empire himself and his power structure. You had the two races on the Outer Rim that we dealt with uh-huh. that were behind the destruction of, of the Sky Bridge and some other stuff. Allegedly. Uh, allegedly. You had the religious group. Yes. There's an unnamed rebellious group. Yes. And, I mean, really, so we're talking maybe six major factions thereabouts. Mm-hmm. Maybe seven, I lost count. And there are a couple of key players individually that have clear paths, even if their agendas aren't clear. Grace being one of them, uh, Salvor being another, those two leads, uh, both those actresses, I think, did a great job. Yeah, Gail was fantastic. Yeah. Both in the voiceovers as well as the acting and scenes. Yeah, yeah. And the only actor out of the entire 10 episodes I recognized was Alexander Siddig, who played Dr. Bashir in... Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And it was actually him, not uh, <laughs> James Callis, as we were confused on um, Picard. Picard, Because again, I would have expected 
Bashir there. Anyways, <laughs> he played a essentially a prosecutor when Harry was getting essentially brought up on on charges in front of Empire. Mm-hmm. Other than him, well, I loved that. Basically, you say your math shows the Empire will, will fall. Do you not understand? It is treason to tell Empire his Empire will fall. Yeah, yeah. There was some interesting stuff just throughout. Mm-hmm. But I, again, I was astonished how. With that one exception, I didn't recognize a single. I didn't recognize a single actor and stuff. There are a few that we found out that we've seen in a few yeah. other things. The guy who plays Hugo was in APB a couple mm-hmm. of seasons back. The um, guy who pray, played Brother Day, I think I'd seen him in Halt and Catch Fire, which I watched the first season of. Uh, I don't know, six seven years ago or something. But generally speaking, when we're watching something with this many people in it, even over a ten episode season. There are a lot of character actors we'll recognize. There's a lot of, of main actors or, mm-hmm. or whatnot. Yeah. So for most of these people to have zero baggage coming in, and in some cases, I don't want to say zero experience, but you look on the credits for the actress who played uh, Grace. Gail. Or Gail, sorry. This was like one of three things on the IMDb page for her. Yeah. And, and I sure would not have guessed that given how great of a job she did. No. Because, I mean, there were aspects where. The delivery she did for some of the scenes were really great because when they went back to those scenes mm. later, yes, you really saw what she was delivering. Kind of the, you know, when you see the scene initially and she's sitting there waiting because she was told the night before in the morning you're going to be arrested. Mm-hmm. But when we flash back to it later and she's like, but I knew the moment they were going to come to arrest yes, me. Yes, yes. And some of that is as much good writing, good direction, but having an actress that can play that off. Yeah. But there were also a few times where we saw Gail and we saw Salvor in the same scene. Yeah. With the one, uh, you know, Salvor kind of reliving mm-hmm. Gail's experience. Same setup, same dress, same all this kind of a stuff. Same mannerisms. And yeah. again, that goes back to the brothers Dawn, Day, and Dusk mirroring. And they really, in the span of, of 10 episodes, created a very fleshed out universe. They did, yeah. You know, everything from when we see Gale going through the Skybridge, or Skybridge, you know, entrance, going down to the planet, all that kind of a stuff, getting a sense for what is space travel like in this world. What is kind of the welcome to the home planet of Empire like? Mm-hmm. And we're learning about Empire at this point and all of these things. And the fact that we later see him in person so much, I hadn't honestly really expected at the beginning. Neither did I. I'm not sure that those characters as such were really in the book. I think the Emperor of the Genetic Dynasty absolutely was. I just don't remember if they were a key part of the story or part of the, the background, if you mm. will. Yeah, which makes sense. So we may want to to consider going through the foundation, the first foundation novel. Yeah, and I say consider and and clarify the first because again, as I recall it, it was not short, not a quick read. It was good, mm-hmm. but it is, in my opinion, a bit more of a commitment than just hey, here's a quick page turner of you know a few hundred pages. But I wonder if it will be an easier, possibly faster read. With all these visuals in our head already. Well, it would certainly be a very different reading experience for me today than it was back in high school. I agree entirely that now having 
a voice for Harry, for Gale, for all these other characters gives it more life mm -hmm. than it would have had before. Also, I am a older, wiser, hopefully at least a different person than I was back yeah. then. I've done a lot more reading since then. So, you know, I don't remember when exactly I read these, but I think I they were some of the earlier novels before, because really it wasn't until college that I really started going through novels at a fairly good clip. Mm -hmm. I'd been given three Star Trek novels by some friends as a Christmas gift, second year of college maybe. And I'd been reading a few things before, but that was when I really started getting into a lot more of the reading and such. Yeah. I'm trying to remember when I discovered the Time Wars saga and some other stuff, because those were other books that I'd read kind of early on. I thought Time Wars was high school, or at least a high school friend got High school you on friend, that. absolutely. I just am trying to think when I would have discovered what, and that had yeah. to have been high school, because I think I was still, they were still coming out when I was in college, so. Well, the visuals on Foundation were fantastic. The visuals, the effects, I mean, some of the space scenes were gorgeous. They were. I mean, the, the sunrises, the sunsets, just the, the planetscapes were phenomenal. I loved how there was one where it was on a ship, and it's like, wow, that was a nice sunset while it lasted. The yes. guy picks up the pad, rewinds it, and plays it again. Yes, yes. I also really enjoyed, and it was, a I don't say a nothing effect, but it was not something they dwell on. When they go into one of these hyperspace or, you know, travel or whatever, you get put into this pod and this like netting kind of knits itself over you. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, that was just smoothly done. The yeah, the protection, the safety webbing for jump. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the way the spacers looked, the just destruction of the sky bridge, mm -hmm. the creation and just the the visuals of it to begin with before the destruction. Mm -hmm. The scar on yeah. Trantor. Yeah. Well, seeing the underground levels of Trantor with the projected sky and all of that, and then going back to those same places with the sky bridge having just ripped through that part of the planet and such. Mm -hmm. Just some amazing stuff. When Salvor was seeing visions of people yeah, and sees Gale diving into, for Gale, water, but for Salvor, you know, the desert. Yeah. And the way it looked like she was literally diving into the sand there. Yeah. Uh, again, their visual effects team just did a phenomenal job. So it had a lot of the uh, the eye candy I want out of a good sci-fi thing. Mm -hmm. Had a few good a action scenes here and there, but mm -hmm. it's not an action series so much. But it also wasn't just a lot of people standing around talking. There was a fair amount of that. It didn't feel as almost academic as Star Trek can feel at times. Right. Well, and the writing was well thought out. Mm-hmm. I mean- you know, they they left you the breadcrumbs and they played fair. Yes. So in the finale, when there's a reveal, I'm looking at you with basically the, didn't I ask you several episodes ago if they were setting that up? Because they played fair yeah. and started giving the hints. When Brother Day walked the spiral, that was, to me, that was fascinating from a writing point of view. Because there was a lot going on, more than just the walking of the spiral. Well, the spiral, again, being kind of the holy pilgrimage for this, this huge religion and such, it gave us not only good interaction with that version of, of Brother Day, but with, I forget her name. Demelza, maybe? Demelza, whatever. 
which is the sole remaining android, as far as we know, from the, the robotic days of, of ancient past. And that has some ramifications uh, a few episodes later. I mean, there was just layer upon layer of, of what was going on. Things were happening that played into a couple of different characters' arcs. Well, and we got to see kind of how Brother Day approaches things in terms of, you know, the seeming to ask casual questions. As he's gathering the information he knows he just might need. Plans ahead. You can tell he's he's angling for something. He's He knows the game he's playing politically mm-hmm. and is trying to get the information he needs to, to come out where he knows he needs to be. Yeah. So there's a, a shrewdness there. Mm-hmm. And again, the, the actor did a great job playing the shrewdness and I don't want to say the seeming naivete or whatever, but you know what I mean? The different playing the politics really well. Yeah. And knowing when the politics are being played against him, mm-hmm. it's like, this isn't going my way. I need to turn the table on this. Yeah. So there's a lot going on in that level. So if you want just something with some political intrigue, this has it. If you want something with, you know, how does society evolve over time or whatever, this has some of that. And there's a lot of great characters and character interaction. It's not like these people are, are placeholders in a historic saga. Mm, I agree. Because I think the risk of this kind of, of multi-generational story or whatnot is you never get too attached to any of the characters because they're not going to stick around. Mm-hmm. And again, with the Emperor or Empire and stuff, those three versions, those guys are sticking around. They found a, a very interesting way to keep Harry in play mm-hmm. over the long haul. Same with Gale. It's looking that way for, for Salvor and stuff. Um, so. I loved what was happening with the Foundation in terms of they were given their marching orders and their mission. They spend four and a half years or more getting to Terminus Mm -hmm. to set up, and they think they know what the Foundation is all about. And they spend nine episodes or so doing what they think they're supposed to do. I I love the bit of, yeah, I I may have lied about that. Yeah. And it's just, oh, man. And, well, one of the conversations I really enjoyed was the, if we can only save in the memory banks one type of uh, time-telling device, do we use the water clock or- the or- sundial. Yeah. Well, and the other one of, because at this point, the the mission they've been given is you need to build kind of the Encyclopedia Galactica. This will be the written knowledge that will carry people through the dark times and used to rebuild society. And then the question comes up as to, well, are you going to keep base 10? And people kind of look at the person asking the question with, what kind of a question is that? Well, base 10, you know, the numbering system. We know it's a numbering system. Kind of, well, of course we're going to keep that. Why would we not? Well, what about, you know, base 12 or base 27 or whatever it was that a lot of other people use because for them it was the natural numbering system. Mm -hmm. You know, who are we to decide what can and should and shouldn't be kept if we can't even agree on the numbering system for the list. Yeah. You know, and just, again, the inherent biases and blind spots. Yeah. Well, and how they decided between the water clock and the sundial. Yes. Yes. Very practical. Intrigued me that the sundial actually came back later. Yeah. And was used for something other than telling time. Yeah. That amused me. It set that up early on to Mm -hmm. where, again, they do a good job of planting the seeds and foreshadowing without telegraphing. Because there are a couple of times where it's like, oh, they mentioned this about 
the the grand huntress or whatever she was. Oh yes, yeah. It's like there's this aspect about her, and that comes back later. Oh well, you you set that up in a way that it it didn't feel like setup. Yes, exactly. Well, and uh, David Goyer, who did executive producing and writing, and I think even directed a few of these. He's written comics. He's written a number of other things, and there is an elegance to the structure of the story they're telling. I wholeheartedly agree. And there's an aspect where you could say, well, it's just, it's a great science fiction novel. Of course they had all that. Well, Double-Edged Sword Theory, they had a lot of great material to work with, but they also had a lot of great material to work with. Yeah. Figuring out how to take that, turn it into a compelling TV narrative for a book that is, I recall, and maybe incorrectly so, but I recall would go on to these tangents for a couple of pages about how this, that, and the other worked or, or whatnot that you're mm-hmm. not going to do in TV, and they didn't do here, and they shouldn't do here. You know, So how do you take that structure, figure out how to play it across 10 episode seasons? I think I read somewhere they wanted to do like 80 hours of TV for this. And believe me, there's 80 hours worth of material, I think, to cover in this. And if they keep up this production quality, I'd love to see 80 hours. Well, and particularly if... They may not have written all 80, but if they've mapped out all yeah. 80, absolutely. I mean, early on when we're doing Sims to train for being on the planet, and we get surprised by a wild animal, mm-hmm. and then episodes later when we're 35 years later and we see that animal yep. on the planet, yep, you know, just that kind of attention to detail. I think the only thing that sticks out to me as a, to me it feels like it fell through the cracks, and I'm not even sure it did. It could be I just didn't notice it. Was the engineer was pregnant on the ship during the four and a half year journey. And I, no character was ever identified in the village to me as their 40 year old child. I don't think she took it to term because remember, she was asking for the wine. Oh. I took that as you shouldn't be drinking. It's And she knows she's going to be drinking. So. So she may have lost the baby because of the radiation. Either lost the baby or put it in the, the, the cryo bank or whatever it was. The embryo and the seed embryo, bank, yeah. after all. Okay. Yeah. That's what I took that as. Okay. Because, like I said, I, I have a feeling it didn't get, it didn't fall through the cracks. I just missed it. Well, they didn't dwell on it. Yeah. There's some shows where it's like, okay, I get it, move on. There are others where, you know, you really needed to be clearer on this. And here, there's some things that are happening and passing. And there are a couple of times where it's like, okay, they just showed us this character doing something. It wasn't a big deal, but they showed us this character doing something. And sure enough, episodes later, we get that as a flashback. And I'm like, okay, you played fair. Mm-hmm. And if they can do that kind of fair play thing over the course of, what, eight, ten episode seasons, or potentially at the end, we're seeing some of the stuff from the beginning having... Here's what it now means in this light. Man, that would be amazing. Yeah, it would. And I think they've they've got the source material to do that. I think they've shown they've got the writing chops on the show to do that. The question is, I know they're getting a second season. Will they get that third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth and be able to pull all of this off? Yeah. And if they can, I could see where this definitely could have the potential of being one of the all-time great sci-fi TV shows. I agree. And I'd love for it to get that opportunity. Because mm-hmm. this was just, I mean, like you said, on the eye candy level alone, this was amazing to watch. Yeah. And I loved watching all the pieces fall in together. The The skipping around in time was a bit much for me at times. Yeah, that was one of the things. I get why they did it. I kind of agree with doing it. But 
it was also a little, okay, when did this happen versus that? Yeah. There, there were a few were... times I got lost on causality. Yeah. There were a few times when I had to ask you, wait, when are we again? Because yeah. I just wasn't sure if I properly shifted time with them. I hope, because I know they're working on a second season, that they do a crash course mini episode. That'd be nice. Of the story thus far and kind of a recap of season one going into season two. Mm -hmm. Because I know that many of the characters seem like they ought not to be able to come back. We've got at least, I'm going to say, six characters, seven, six, maybe seven, that should be back. So they'll have a core cast mm -hmm. for next season. But will that continue beyond that, beyond that? How much do we keep moving forward in time? Yeah. And there is a need to do that. And they've come up with really three or four different ways to get characters, you know, over time, or at least the actors over time. Between the genetic dynasty, you know, the robot being effectively immortal, having been around 11,000 years, mm -hmm. the way they've got it with Harry. The approach they took with uh, Gale yes. and now Salvor. So there's a lot going on, and they left on a note where I want to see what the status quo is when we left off. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking forward to a second season, and I know the first one had some delays because they were shooting when the pandemic started. It took forever to finish and stuff. Even with all of that, that was not obvious at all from the production. I agree. Yeah, And if they don't have those hurdles moving forward, I'd like to see this obviously coming out in a little bit better clip. Yeah. So looking forward to more. Really enjoyed it. Right there with you. Anything else? I think that does it. Cool. The show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.